Deepest Thoughts is the show that you listen in to know what's What's going going on in sports today today and hear what Chris and Anshu say. The Deepest Thoughts podcast is brought to you by DeepestThoughts.com. Host Chris Horwadell and Anshu Khanna discuss today's biggest news from the world of sports and whatever else is on their minds. Deepest Thoughts is the show that you listen in to know what's going on in sports today and hear what Chris and Anshu say. Welcome to the Deepish Thoughts podcast. I'm Chris Horwadell. A little bit different today. No Anshu Khanna. This is going to be the start of kind of a branch off of the regular podcast, and I'm going to unabashedly steal the phrasing from Doug Benson and Doug Loves Movies by calling it a mini-sode, because it will be shorter than the typical episode. Now, if you've ever listened to me over any prolonged period of time doing the podcast, you've probably heard my guest today. Thrilled to have him covering the MMA and specifically the UFC for the website, my friend Gregory Crone. Gregory, thanks for joining us. Anytime. You know I'm always available. (laughs) So you, uh, you've been providing the website with mixed martial arts coverage, and the one thing that really strikes me looking at the stuff you've submitted is that twice over the past eight days, you've, uh, you've given us articles about any doping violations, one from Chris Seidel mm-hmm. and another one from Josh Barnett just recently. Can you talk us through the what, what exactly an anti-doping violation entails? Because myself, like... You know, I imagine a lot of the listeners, I'm not the world's biggest UFC fan. I don't, you know, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that it's never really clicked with me. I'll watch it if it's on. Sure. I try, uh, but, you know, my knowledge base is limited. So yours is not. Why don't you teach us a little bit of what exactly <laughs> that means? Well, I mean, the biggest thing, so a uh, few years ago, it's about two years old almost, um, the UFC decided that instead of just having the athletic commissions do their testing that they would normally do, you know, whatever, a certain amount of time outside of the fight, Mm -hmm. after the fight, and then potentially a week or two, you know, following the fight. Uh, They decided to hire the, um, they called USADA, but it's uh, it's essentially an anti-doping agency that does testing all around the world. Um, And by doing this, they privatized it, and they can test their fighters whenever they want. Uh, At a competition, in competition, it's all random. They can show up at your house at 4.30 in the morning and say, listen, we need to take, you know, blood, whatever, mm-hmm. to, to get our samples. And in doing so, they're starting to catch more and more people. Um, and when, when they say that somebody's been flagged, it's not necessarily like, oh, my God, they're taking, you know, uh, uh, anabolic steroids. Mm-hmm. It may be something that is considered like a masking agent or, you know, for a lot of examples, in Cyborg's case, she came out and said that, she was taking this form of, they say it's like a birth control or a diuretic uh, almost that, that people take when they're on birth control that was to help her recover from her uh, recent weight cut that, that she had when she fought uh, Lena Landsberg at 140 pounds. Right. Um, so not just classic just few, stuff, but kind of like Maria yeah, Sharapova. It's, it's, not, it's you know, any, any sort exactly. of banned substance. Exactly. So, so they do a lot more like, you know, stringent tests and they're looking for a lot of different things they you know one of the big one of the big controversies that, that's kind of come of this i don't know if necessarily know if it's a controversy but with weight cutting a lot of guys used to replenish their their water or their fluids using 
IVs. Mm-hmm. So the guy would cut down to whatever his weight is, you know, 135 pounds. And right after, he'd immediately go get an IV bag and fill back up with fluids and yeah. start to rehydrate himself. Um, and, you know, they banned that as an option because they said that the plastics in there can actually mask steroid use or performance-enhancing drug use. Mm. So it, 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 it's, it's a little bit tricky. And the problem is, is a lot of the guys that keep getting popped for this are, you know, perennial guys. Josh Barnett's a guy that's already tested positive for different steroids or performance-enhancing things three different times in his career, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it led to him losing, you know, he, he won the heavyweight championship at UFC 34 and then was stripped of the title two days later or whatever, because <laughs> he came back positive. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, these guys are really out to try and clean up this sport. And that's sort of what these, these anti-doping measurements have, have kind of brought up. Like you, the problem though becomes is. Sometimes it takes marquee fights off the card. UFC 200, for example, John Jones gets popped for what he eventually deems some sort of erectile dysfunction medication that he took from a teammate and didn't research and all that stuff. But whatever was in there was a, um, not testosterone. It's the female version of it. I can't think of the name of it. Um, estrogen. It was an estrogen blocker that was inside of this, whatever, over-the-counter erectile dysfunction medication, and that's what he got popped for, and that's the stuff they're looking for because that can be a sign of, you know, prior use. I like any time that somebody admits to doing something crazy like an erectile dysfunction medication because it tells, oh, it you-, it tells you that, you know, it's an interesting strategy. It kind of says like, all right, I'm going to put something crazy out there and people are going to believe it because it's so embarrassing. It's like, uh, I don't know if you watched The Jinx, which was just an un- unbelievable special on HBO uh, with Robert Durst. And Durst recently came out and said that part of the reason that you know the climax was what it was, him effectively admitting to murder, was because he was on meth at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, all right, I'm going to admit to meth. You know, people won't think that I'm just pretending to be on meth for any reason. So they'll believe me. And I I always think that those kinds of things are interesting. But I want to clear up some verbiage. Now, you say uh, in the articles that they're notified of an anti-doping violation. Is Is this akin to a positive test? Or is this, you know, there's there's questions about a test? What exactly does an anti-doping violation mean? So that means that essentially uh, USADA takes two different samples and they test both of them. So this is the results of the first, let's call it test A or sample A. Mm-hmm. That means it came back with some sort of banned substance inside of it. Okay. That's so then they'll run a second test on the other sample to make sure that it matches. Then they'll officially, you know, say, listen, we have to take this to a trial and all that stuff. Um, you'll, every fighter, when they do get popped for something like this, they do have the ability to defend themselves, mm-hmm. um, come up with a reason. For example, a guy that's fighting tomorrow um, on UFC Fight Pass, Tim Means, um, affectionately known as the Dirty Bird. Sure. Um, <laughs> he, um, he tested positive for some sort of tainted situation, and he's like, listen, this is what I take. Here's everything. 
go test these supplement companies. And that's what USADA will do. They'll go in and test these supplements that they're saying. And if it comes back that this product is on there, but it's not on the label, that can get them out of the situation because it's basically like unknowingly taking a banned substance. And that's what happened in his case where normally that first violation is an automatic year penalty. For him, it was six months because he cooperated. He did all that. Um, he still took the substance, even though it was unknowingly, it wasn't on the fit. It wasn't mm. on the label, but that, that cooperation and them going back and doing their due diligence got him a reduced, uh, setup. That's interesting. So, and when you, you were told me via email the other day about the, the punishment structure. And I think this is, wow, this is unbelievable how stringent yeah. this, this punishment structure is. You're talking about one year for the first violation is crazy. Mm-hmm. Now there's, you know, what you're saying in terms of how everything works is is kind of similar along the lines of what happens in the NFL. And we actually, you know, as Eagles fans, we dealt with a very similar situation to what you just described with Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson gets suspended with, you know, his second or third time testing positive for banned substances, gets suspended, you know, I guess the A sample came back sometime in the preseason and we find out that, you know, he's going to get suspended. The B sample doesn't come back for, you know, eight weeks, something like that. He played five mm-hmm. games with the team, well, played four games with the team. And finally, yeah, we looked finally gets suspended. Yeah, it was a very different team at that point. And uh, <laughs> finally gets suspended back again uh, last week and, you know, two games into the season, two games into the whatever, two plays into the game, Alan Barber gets hurt and we can't have our whole offensive line play, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but it seems very similar in that situation, especially in Johnson's case, where his argument was basically what you just said. You know, he took this supplement. It wasn't on the label. But in the NFL, you know, all hail Lord Goodell. Um, <laughs> the all-powerful. The, yeah, that's an understatement if ever there was one. But uh, they say, you know, you're responsible for what you put in your body. So Johnson got his 10 games because, you know, even though it wasn't listed on the label— if you believe his story, and I tend to believe what he's saying here, that he's responsible for taking a banned substance, even though it wasn't listed on the label of the supplement. So it does seem like at least the MMA, or at least the UFC, is uh, willing to talk to people, even though their punishments are so severe. Yeah, and that is an important distinction to make, because it is just the UFC that has this sort of very strict, random at all times drug testing. Other other organizations that just go based off of the commission, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the commission says, whatever the commission's ruling is. And unfortunately, the commission sort of live in that same sort of Roger Goodell-esque, like, <laughs> we're in charge. It's, it's our, you know, we're, we're going to say and do everything. And they ban people for ridiculous amounts of time. And that, that's where the UFC kind of stepped in to be sort of that middle ground and and way, way more heavily on their own privatized drug testing versus some athletic commission. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you've, uh, you mentioned that when Barnett, in the article, you mentioned that Barnett was suspended the first time. I think you said he went to fight in Pride for 10 years. What is Pride? Yes. So Pride was an organization in Japan. Um, it was around, it was sort of almost like, it wasn't necessarily a predecessor to the UFC, but they kind of ran concurrently with each other. Okay. Um, and you see a lot of guys, a lot of your older statesmen, as far as 
you know, some of your divisions in the UFC go. A lot of those guys came from Pride. Pride was a totally not different style, but it, there was a lot of different rules. They fought in like a boxing ring. Um, normally it was two rounds. You know, the first round was 10 minutes long. The second round was five minutes. Um, you could do pretty much anything goes outside of like groin shots uh, and like biting. <laughs> then what fun uh, you is You could it? stomp people. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, you could soccer kick. You could do kind of anything. And there's been stories. I, I, I'm a guy that listens to a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts, mm-hmm. um, mainly for MMA news, but also some, you know, just other entertainment stuff and comedy. But he talks a lot about knowing guys who fought in pride where it said explicitly in your contract, you will not be tested for steroids or performance enhancing <laughs> drugs. So that's always kind of been the, uh, the sort of hush hush thing about mm-hmm. fighting overseas and in other areas that isn't the United States that a lot of times those substances aren't, you know, aren't necessarily look for tested, you know what I mean? So, but eventually pride, Pride fizzled out. They ran out of money, and mm-hmm. the UFC ended up purchasing them and collecting a lot of their contracts. And, you know, you see a lot of guys like, you know, Shogun Hua, uh, Mark Hunt was a big Pride guy. There, there's a lot of guys that are out there um, who were who there. Not as many as much now, just because they're getting a lot older, and many have either moved on from the UFC or retired. But there's still there's quite a few out there. Hey, this reminds me of how the, the old-school ECW wrestlers – matriculated into the WCW. <laughs> you, you can you can do a comparison to that for sure. It's it's very very similar. It was two competing factions. I wouldn't say they were as competitive as, as some of those wrestling organizations, but it was two competing companies trying to to dominate the mixed martial arts marketplace in the early going and you know, eventually one fizzled out because the interest kind of got lost in Japan and you know, the UFC ended up being the, the top dog. It is weird, though, because Japan, they're actually running a, a big, they have a new fight organization that kind of is it's just getting off the ground uh, in the last maybe year um, mm. called Ryzen. <laughs> it's R-I-Z-I-N. Sure. And um, they've had they've had some, some bigger, older names kind of come out. They, they're doing a, a Grand Prix, which is essentially like a giant tournament, um, sort of bracket style, mm-hmm. that started well technically it started on the 29th in japan so that was overnight for us but um it started last night and then the finals are new year's eve so it's it is pretty crazy they're trying to build it back up to to sort of compete with the ufc but right now even from a global level the ufc is just sort of that that top top tier yeah the ufc is a juggernaut i mean they're making money hand over fist at this point what they uh wasn't it it was sold for what four billion dollars something like that Reportedly, four billion. I mean, it's just—it's insane money. The question is going to become though, and you kind of already see it with the financial moves that they're making. They fired a ton of staff, like mm-hmm. non-fighting staff, um, getting rid of different legends like Chuck Liddell and Matt Hughes, who were basically like—I uh, don't want to say like they were just being handed checks to have a job in yeah. parentheses or quotations, not parentheses, whatever. Um, but but they kind of were and. Now you're being run by a big Hollywood agency that doesn't really care about what you did 10 years ago in the UFC when it was just building and building. You guys were they're looking to make moves and, and to try and recoup on that $4 billion. I think they really expect a huge payday coming up in the next year when it comes to because 
the big deal a few years ago, I'd say it was probably like 2011, the UFC got their Fox contract. Yeah. Well, those rights are coming up soon, very soon, uh, like within the next year or so. So the UFC is going to be looking, and WME, IMG, is going to be looking for a lot of money in return. Well, yeah, you spend $4 billion. You want to make a profit on the product you just bought. Yeah, well, but and I get that. This may not be the most popular opinion, but the change I made yesterday with, with taking Mike Goldberg out of the booth. Mm. Okay. He may not know, and which is kind of amazing, the fact that he's basically been with them since 1997. He may not be the most technical as far as, like, techniques and things like that, but that's what a guy like Rogan's there for, to help him out. But it's that recognizable voice, that sort of franchise that you have. Right. Now, you're talking about, you're going to take that away. Rogan is a guy who I think brings in a lot of fans of the UFC that wouldn't normally be fight fans for his commentary. And then you're going to potentially replace Mike Goldberg with a guy who has never done broadcast play-by-play. I mean, obviously it's just a rumor that they're going to bring in Jim Rome, mm-hmm. but I don't know if he's, I mean, you must have, have to have somebody else who's going to be the actual play-by-play guy, right? Like, cause Jim Rome's never been a play-by-play guy for anything. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned this in the article, and it's just, you know, it seems like Joe Rogan plus Jim Rome is too much. It, it'll be an interesting dynamic, and Rogan really hasn't made any comments about it. I mean, other people have around him um, from other podcasts and things that I, that I tune into. Um, it's a weird dynamic to put two clear alpha male personalities in there together in a booth like that. I feel like I feel like ESPN and all these other other places have tried that with football, and it yeah, never seems is, to work out. This is Dennis Millery to me, right? That's that's the exact example that I that comes to mind where that failed miserably on Monday Night Football on ABC. You know, I am the only person in the world that likes Dennis Miller enough that I enjoyed him on a Monday Night Football. <laughs> was it good? Was it was it you know was it technical football uh, broadcasting? No, probably not. But you know, if, I you know, I get a laugh out of watching a Bills Colts game and somebody makes a William of Orange reference. You know, I. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's what you get with Dennis Miller, and I and I and I don't I don't disagree that I'm sure it was entertaining with the random references and things like that. But I mean, it's more of that that booth dynamic that's kind of a kind of interesting. Yeah, it was. UFC's and it's. If they are going to do a three-man booth, they've done that before. They they did it back in the day, and I can't remember the time frame exactly. Um, but when before Randy Couture made his like comeback and then eventually retired again, mm. in between that time, and obviously now relations between the UFC and Randy Couture are just like dead. They don't even talk, I don't think, um, which is really sad for a guy who kind of was one of the faces of an early organization. But they had a three-man booth. It was Goldberg, Rogan, and Couture. Now – You'd have to assume Couture is an alpha male kind of guy. I mean, he's mm-hmm. an MMA fighter, you know, Olympic class wrestler, you know. Uh, but they did a really good job as a three-man booth. And if they can sort of recreate a similar magic with that, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough to expect everybody to be Madden and Summerall. That just doesn't come yeah. along. No, no, it doesn't. So here's an idea that I'm going to throw out there to the UFC that if you do this, I'm going to watch it. And I am the definition of a casual fan. Royal Rumble. Oh my god! I, I, want, I want a UFC Royal Rumble. Every every well, you know, three minutes, 
new guy comes into that ring until the last, there's only one man standing. Well, how do you get the guys out? Do you have to throw them over the cage, or can you submit them, knock them out? Or, like, what are these rules? Well, so, so I look, need, I, I, had this, I had this idea 10 seconds ago, so it's not super flushed out. But uh, I don't know. That's tough, because I, I don't know that you can have an official in the ring. So that's... With that much, with that much action going on? Yeah, it's probably, probably can't do that. You might have, it might have to be standard, throw them over the rope. Just get it out of the ring. <laughs> so you have to go up and out of the cage. Both feet have to hit the floor. I, works, I see how it is. Works for me. Would you not watch it? Oh, I'd watch it. I mean, you're talking to a guy who, you're talking to a guy who has gone down the rabbit hole of weird Eastern European team <laughs> MMA, where it's five on five. Okay. Every pairing has, every pairing has an official, and then once you beat whoever the guy is in front of you, you can go assist your teammates in beating the hell out of other guys, which it essentially turns into a weird street fight. Yeah. Uh, especially if a team gets down early, the fights don't last very long. And and they're littered with YouTube. Anybody who who's ever watched any sort of MMA on YouTube has seen it. Oh, maybe you'd like. And it's like Team Poland, Team Germany, and okay. it's just a weird throwdown. So so I, I, people are are working towards your concept. So you might not be far off. So I'm bringing back Pride. We're gonna start it here in uh, in the middle of California. <laughs> And our, <laughs> our primary event is going to be a Royal Rumble. I'm, I assume. I like that, it. I, I assume that I can get most of the big UFC fighters on board. <laughs> good luck fighting. Get, look, good, good luck getting those contracts. But you know, I, I'll tune in. Thanks, buddy. I, you're welcome to play a large role in the organization. <laughs> all of a, all of somebody's going to have to. I'm, somebody's going to have to have knowledge about the sport. So that would be your good position. point. Good point. Uh, so the last big event, it seems like, in the UFC world was uh, UFC on uh, Fox last weekend. UFC with 22 on Fox. Yeah, it's, the, it's the, that 22nd main Fox card. And, you know, to, again, the casual observer, it seems like the big, the big matchup of the evening was Paige Van Zant and uh, Michelle Waterston. But from everything I've heard, Gregory, pretty big letdown of a fight. Well, it, it depends. It depends on how you look at it. I mean, yes, of course, it ended in the first round. It wasn't unbelievably entertaining because it became very – it became quickly apparent that Paige Van Zandt just isn't at that level yet. Uh-huh. Michelle Waterston is somebody who's been in the fighting game for a very long time. I mean, she grew up doing karate. That, that seems to be the, you know, the, the new story between – for every – MMA fighter, male or female, but they've grown up doing some sort of martial art at this mm-hmm. point. But she's been fighting for a very long time. She has great grappling. I mean, and Paige Van Zant is, you know, she's in her early 20s. She's, what, 23, 24? I don't think she's much older than that, if she even is that old. Um, and she just doesn't have the experience, you know, to adapt to somebody of that skill level. I mean, it's it, – it, it was disappointing for people who are huge casual fans of Paige Van Zandt because they watched Dancing with, Dancing with the Stars. Mm. They saw her last big fight where she won with a head kick knockout. They were all in on Paige Van Zandt. And to kind of get dispatched and choked unconscious in the, <laughs> within the first four minutes of a fight, it's a little bit tough to, to be thrilled about that. Yeah, I we, mean, we've for talked that about division, this casually. Yeah. We've talked about this casually, and it seems like the MMA is very much putting Paige Van Zandt out there at the forefront. They want her to be their next big star, and you know, for obvious reasons, this is, you know, when when not in the ring, a nice-looking young lady. And uh, 
and it just seems like she's not yeah. much of a fighter. Isn't is she kind of? Uh, oh God, who was the, the 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 blonde Russian tennis player? Kornikova. Is she kind of the Kornikova oh, of yeah. the UFC? No, I think she's better than that. She definitely has skills. There's no doubt about it. I mean, she she's definitely there. She just keeps getting thrown into these fights with people who are clearly better because she has that marketable name, that marketable appearance. Mm-hmm. And she's just not ready for some of these fights. Somebody with, you know, with her amount of fights and, and, and her skill level and where she's at, how long she's actually been doing this, getting thrown in there with somebody like, you know, for example, before before her last fight that she won, she she fought uh, a girl named Rose Namajunas. And she has been a lifelong grappler, is, mm-hmm. you know, a really, really tough girl. And she took her to the woodshed for five rounds and just outgrappled her outstruck her and just really dominated that fight for five rounds and showed that Paige isn't in her class as far as that goes. Paige definitely has skills. She's just not there yet and she needs more time. But unfortunately in the new world of the UFC, time isn't really an option. Time is more, it's more, you know, let's try to make money right now. Yeah. Who can we market? What can we do? And you end up with situations where, your big name fighters are losing, you know, losing to people who, you know, you really expect or hope them to beat. By the way, things are coming fast and furious here at California Pride Central. Just made some big decisions with the company. We're going to be Muay Thai only and soccer kicks. That will be the only way to fight. <laughs> hey, you know what, man? I, I bet people would watch that. Muay Thai and soccer kicks only would be an, an unbelievable style of, uh, of fighting to watch. How... You talk about her getting thrown into fights that maybe she's not ready for. I'm I'm interested in the ranking system a little bit because you know going into this, Watterson was 14 and four and the number 12 ranked woman, the number 12 ranked woman strawweight, and Van Zant was seven and three and the number eight ranked woman strawweight. How do, how does that work out? Because it seems like mm, uh, Michelle Watterson should, should be higher uh, higher rated than Van Zant is. Here's the problem. Michelle Waterson has only had one fight in the UFC prior to that. She won. She gotcha, won pretty gotcha. easily. And and was also out for, I think, a year, year and a half with, with some significant injuries. So okay. that time on the shelf, that timing out there, not really being in the UFC for that long, really plays a role. And, and it's all voted on by... It's all voted on by UFC... Not UFC journalists, but MMA journalists who... They play favorites. Of course they do. I mean, that, that's just the way things work. The, uh, Johnny Hendricks is fighting tomorrow, right? Mm. He missed weight again today. Missed weight by two and a half pounds. Not as bad as prior, prior experiences. Guy's a former welterweight champ. He's knocked out a lot of guys that have never been stopped. Should have beat GSP in GSP's last fight. But that guy's still the number seven, seventh-ranked welterweight in the UFC. And... He's been absolutely outclassed his last two times in the octagon by guys who are far better than him, and, and he's still in the top ten. It, it's very, it's very strange the way these rankings work, and I think a lot of it is name recognition is part of it too. Like these guys that do the voting, they hear the name, they're like, oh, "I remember him. He fought this guy." You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's it, it's a little bit it's a little bit weird, and it's not necessarily the most objective ranking system. All right, let me ask you, because I, I think it's fair to say that the big name in the UFC right now is Conor McGregor. Is is McGregor mm-hmm. a guy who is unbelievably talented and more so than everybody else, and that's why he has the success that he has? Or is this a guy who is 
you know, kind of pushed into a role because he has an incredible personality. He's somebody you can be a face of an organization, and he's, you know, a good, even very good fighter, but maybe there's guys out there who are better. It's it's a combination of both. He is an unbelievably skilled striker. I wouldn't say he is the best all-around fighter in the UFC. I think there are guys who have a lot more to offer when the fight goes to the mat. Mm. Um, the problem is getting the fight to the mat for Connor. You know, mm. he, since the loss to Nate Diaz, um, the, the first loss of his UFC career, um, since then he really hasn't let guys take him and get him in those positions because he's worked on stopping that. And mm-hmm. from, an, from a fighting and punching accuracy standpoint, the guy puts together some of the cleanest combinations and, and just knows how to fight. And, and it kind of came along with, that huge personality. I mean, Conor McGregor was a, a two-weight champion in, I believe it's called Cage Warriors or Cage Rage. I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head. But that was well prior to him ever coming to the UFC. So he definitely has the ability and the skills for sure. I, I don't necessarily know if he's the best all-around fighter that's out there, but he's very, very good. We throw them into a match tomorrow who beats Conor McGregor. Well, if you're taking weight into account, of I course, mean, of course, in his, guy, in his weight classes. If you're talking about in his weight class, who could potentially beat him? I think the guy that would give him a run for his money is um, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Uh, that's a that's undefeated. a made up name. I don't know a lot about UFC, but that's a made up name. <laughs> no, he's he's the number one ranked <laughs> contender in that in that lightweight division, and he is he's a monster. He is a grappler who. I mean, once he gets his hands on guys, he just takes them down. He fought at UFC 205 on the undercard um, and just absolutely demolished. Another top 10 guy in Michael Johnson. Mm. He, he would just take him down. And, and honestly, he got hurt early in that fight, but weathered through it and then just employed his game plan, got the guy to the ground, and pummeled him with ground and pound. And that's been his game ever since he reached the UFC. He's like... He's probably one of the only guys in that division with that many fights and never to be never lost, not by decision, not by stoppage, nothing. Totally undefeated. I mean, he's a guy that would really give Connor trouble. Now, the question becomes, would the UFC ever make that matchup? That's where the entertainment factor comes into play. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you have, you really have two you have two guys at the top of the lightweight division in Tony Ferguson and, and Khabib Nur- Nurmagomedov that both deserve title shots. Khabib's never lost in the UFC. Tony Ferguson's won 10 in a row in the division. I mean, it's, it's, both of those guys are well-deserving of a title shot, but neither are going to get it anytime soon because Connor's taking time off. And, and what's going to end up happening is they, these two are going to end up fighting, and one of them's going to lose out on a shot at the title. So it's, it's, very, it's very weird. I think that for the UFC, from a marketing standpoint, Khabib versus Connor would be interesting because, but the problem is, is there's a language barrier with Khabib where he really only speaks Russian. He has some, <laughs> some English, but it's, it, it, it's really all about being able to market yourself at this point. It's, it's right. really tough. Right. Uh, so the big news in UFC 207 is the return of Ronda Rousey. You know, is uh, what what is your take on Rousey in general? Is is she a little bit overrated at this point? You know, she's hinted at retirement not too long ago. How much longer could Rousey have? Hell, how, and I guess this is a follow up before you even answer any of those questions. 
if Ronda Rousey loses uh, UFC 207, which is tomorrow, correct? Yes, tomorrow night. If she loses tomorrow night, is that her last ever UFC fight? Yeah, I don't. I don't think we ever see her again. If there's a loss, can she lose um, tomorrow night? Can she? Absolutely. Um, the, 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 honestly, when I was writing the preview article and I, and I was trying to break down who to take in, in this fight, mm. it is a very tough fight to call because Amanda Nunes is unbelievably skilled as a striker. The problem is, let's go, let's go back to Rousey being overrated and whether that's, whether that's actually true or not. I don't think so. I think she's far and ahead the best female MMA fighter we've seen, you know, as far as just from a a combined skill, you know, she can, she can definitely box, um, not as good as Holly Holm. We saw that. Um, but her ground game is, is, is at least that, that judo throw into an arm bar is, is basically unbeatable when she can get her hands on her, her opponent and do that. That Holly Holm matchup that, that ended up, you know, triggering all of these issues that, mm. that we've now seen and hasn't, hasn't had Ronda in, in here is a fight that Holly Holm would probably beat Ronda almost every time just because of the style. Okay. Ronda is somebody that you're either going to rush, she's either going to rush at you or you're going to rush at her and the fight's going to end. Mm-hmm. Whereas Holly Holm was, is, is a counter striker that's willing to stand back, let you try to get inside and just pick you apart, which is exactly what happened. And you saw Ronda, get outclassed by another world-class striker. It, it's just, that's the name of the game. And tomorrow, the big, the big thing, and the reason why I, I think that Ronda can win this fight is Amanda Nunes rushes at her opponents. She tries to put pressure on them because when she does and she, she lands big shots like she did against Misha Tate, the fight's going to end very quickly. But if Ronda can get out of that and, and try to keep her away from her, or, or if she does come at her, get on the inside and, and clinch and take her down this fight could be over the other way very quickly so i don't i don't see this being one of those all-time you know five round war you know scenarios um but i do see a really i mean and it's weird to say this in a ronda rousey matchup it could it's a very 50 50 fight because Hmm. you don't know where you don't know where she is as far as interest in the ufc she is so she has so much success outside of the UFC with movies and things yeah. like that, television, all these other entertainment options, you know, sponsorships and things like that. How focused is she really? It took her a very long time to get ready and get back and be like, all right, let's do this. Sure. Who so can forget her it, unbelievable it's be turn in, uh, in the Entourage movie? <laughs> I think, well, she, I think she I mean, won an Oscar on. for that, right? Was it that uh, she, she won that? <laughs> so look, Ronda Rousey, to me... And again, I know very little about this, but I'm willing to make rash judgments. Ronda Rousey, to me, is uh, a better version of Gina Carano. Sure. I I mean, I could see that. She definitely has more skills than Gina Carano had. Gina Carano was an excellent striker and really, you know, mix it up in the stand-up game. But Ronda was an Olympic silver medalist judo uh, Mm -hmm. participant. So there's a little bit more of a base there as far as just from a pure martial arts standpoint. Um, well, I just but, mean but it I in terms of where... physically imposing girl who is also yeah. seems interested in doing things, who seems interested in using the UFC to parlay that into other things. Like, you know, Carano's a movie, quote unquote, movie star now. 
That is a very, very vast. And you kind of almost thought progression as as time went on. It's not like she was one of those those fighters that stayed out of that spotlight or didn't want to be in movies and things like that. Whereas you see with some other people who have been offered roles until <clears throat> Conor McGregor decided he was going to do Game of Thrones. Um, Which is awesome, by the way. It's it, it's actually ridiculous because he he came out a year year and a half ago and said, "I'm not worried." I'm here to win belts. I'm here to beat people up. And now, when his star is the biggest, all right, let's do Game of Thrones. Let's get in on this. You know what I mean? So it's very, it's a very interesting move, but that almost seems to be the progression of, of the MMA athlete. Get as big as you can and then get out and find something else. And that's sort of the path Rousey has been on for a while. People may not have realized it, but that's that's where we're at with it. That's why there's a lot of people that are saying tomorrow, win this will be the last time she enters the octagon. Sure. Then it could be the case. All right. Well, hey, Gregory, uh, amazing to have you on the show. Happy to talk to you. And I think we got a lot of really good information about uh, what's going on in the world of UFC. So thanks for taking the time, buddy. Yeah, no problem, man. Anytime.